0: Holy Chit, a spiritual podcast about the chit that happens every Sunday at the Ventura Center for Spiritual Living with Reverend Bonnie Rose. This week's talk is entitled, More Beautiful Than We Can Think. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some good chit. Here's Bonnie Rose. I'm going to start by telling a story. This is from the the work of of Robert Holden, who is an a author a hay house author who um, is is pretty well known unfortunately i can 't rem- remember the name of the book this is from, but I, I always remember this story because it touched me so deeply and This is a story about Robert when he he was working one summer as a counselor at a at a camp for children who were blind, and so um, he was doing a class on self esteem because he that 's the type of thing that he writes about. He was doing this this class on self esteem for for blind teenagers. And he said that the class was going great, that there were lots of joking, lots of goofing around, many, many, many jokes, he said, at his expense for the most part. <laughs> and these kids were just having a wonderful time, except for this one kid who didn't seem distressed, but he was sitting off to the side, and he was, he was um, smiling and nodding and looked fairly okay. But after the class was over, he stayed until the very end. And then he approached Robert, the teacher, and he said, my name is Peter, and I was wondering if we could go for a walk because I want to talk to you about something. And so Robert said, "Of course." So they went for a walk. They made small talk for a while, and then ultimately Peter said, "Here's the question I have for you. I've been afraid to ask anybody, but I feel like I can trust you." And he asked, "Is there anything wrong with me?" And Robert said, "What are you? What are you talking about? I don't. I don't understand." And and Peter said, "Well, I'm. I'm blind, and I've never been able to look at myself in the mirror, and I just wondered, is there anything wrong with me? Am I beautiful?" And Robert said, oh my goodness, yes, of course, there's nothing wrong with you and you are so beautiful. And Peter said, really? And Robert said, yes, yes, absolutely, of course. And then, and then Peter said, but, but uh, how about my breath? I had pizza for lunch. And, <laughs> and Robert said, I love garlic. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? that even though we may not be physically blind, that we tend to bias towards thinking that there's something wrong with us, that there is some fundamental flaw, that there's some handbook that everybody else in the world has read and they know how to be, but maybe we don't, right? Or else we we project that flawedness out onto others and think that there's something wrong with others. What if like Robert Holden said, there is nothing wrong with us, at a deep and a fundamental level. I can understand why we feel that way. You know, certainly we're we're raised in families. I know in my family, as the youngest of four girls, there was this constant—I don't know—it feels like it should be an Olympic sport, constant like pileup of trying to get to the top of top of girls who was getting the most attention, right? Anybody else experience that in your family, <laughs> trying to get the most attention? So there's that, and then you know, there's there's. There's achievement and there's accomplishment and there's work and there's to-do lists of how to self-improve ourselves or one another, (laughs) how to other improve. Religion, I'm sorry to say, has not played a fantastic role in affirming our own innate perfection, our own divine perfection. I was reading again the other day about, I don't know the exact quote, but somebody who said that humanity is like a pile of manure upon which the white snow of Christ lies. (laughs) I, I got to tell you, I have strong feelings about manure, and like if somebody called me a pile of manure, I'd say oh, thank you, because <laughs> because manure is awesome. It's it's compost. Well, is it? Yeah, for, yeah. It's from an herbivore. It's compost. So it's it's a it's a beautiful thing. It's a part of part of the whole cycle of life. But yeah, that pile of manure bin- business goes into other things, and. and and, and just that, that attitude that there's something flawed with us because of who we are or who we love or what color we are or what have you or any, any of that stuff. You know, I'm going with Heisenberg. Odd segue, right? I'm going with Heisenberg, and I'm not talking about Breaking Bad for those of you who watch that show. I'm going with the physicist Heisenberg who said, and I'm going to read this quote so I get it right because I have a habit of misquoting people. <laughs> Heisenberg, who is a physicist, said, not only is the universe stranger than we think. It is stranger than we can think. And I would say that about all of us. Not only are you more beautiful than you think, you are more beautiful than you can think. Not only are you more loved than you think, you are more loved than you can think. How does that feel? Is it possible? Is it possible? Why don't we know that all the time? Why don't we know that all the time, Dot? (laughs) Why don't we know that all the time, Reverend Mark LaPonce? You're a minister. (sighs) You know, The other thing, too, is the fact that we don't know it all the time. We can use that as evidence against ourselves, right? We can use that as evidence of, see, if I was more beautiful than I could think, then I I would know that all the time. There must be something wrong with me because I don't know that I'm perfect all the time. You see what a catch-22 that is? That's what we do, though. It's so charming. You know, (laughs) it's what we do, and it's what, again, I talk about this every Sunday, but I have to remind myself, so you guys get to hear it, because I have to remind myself that we are using this thing that we call the binary operating system, right? The binary operating system is just the way that our brains are made, and it's important for our brains to have that binary capacity so that we can run from danger or so that we can parallel park or so that we can balance our checkbooks. I can't parallel park, by the way, just so you know. But but it's important for us to have that type of operating system. But what it does is that it separates things into good and not good, evil and good, flawed and flawless. And really, there is something so much greater that surrounds all of those opposites and encompasses all of those opposites. And that's really much more like who the true self is. In fact, it is what and who the true self is. Reminded of another story. This is by Father Gregory Boyle, who um, some of you may know of him. He, he has the, one, the largest gang rehabilitation center in, in the country. He runs it. It's called Homeboy Industries, and he's done miraculous work with people, helping them come out of gangs and lead uh, productive, glorious, beautiful lives. And he wrote a book recently that's called The Whole Language. And he starts the book with telling the story about his mother, his mother who was, who was dying, who was about to make her transition. She was 92 years old and had a wonderful life. And when she got the news that she was going on hospice and was going to make her transition, she said, oh, I'm dying? Oh, I've never done that before. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like she was about to go skydiving, right? <laughs> and Father Greg said that she was excited about about passing away, about dying, that that it was was something that she was looking forward to. He said once he was sitting by her bedside and she was in a deep sleep and and she woke up and she opened her eyes and she was like, and then she looked over and saw Father Greg and she goes, oh, for crying out loud, I'm still here. (laughs) But shortly after that, as her health declined and as she moved closer to her time of transition, She started going into more of a a coma state, but occasionally she would would open up her eyes and she would see a member of her family, one of her eight children and her countless grandchildren, and she would just look at them and say, you're here, you're here, you're here. And then once again, Father Greg was alone with her, and she crossed over, (laughs) and he wrote it like this. He said, at exactly noon, My mother opened her eyes, lifted her head some, let out a glorious, wondrous gasp, like skydiving, and she left us. And no one, in earshot of that sound, would ever fear death again. And so you imagine that she crossed over, to wherever over is. And the divine said, you're here, you're here. And Father Greg's mother said, no, you're here, you're here. (laughs) That to me speaks of something greater than our flawed nature. It speaks of this essence of the cosmos, this essence of unity, this essence of wholeness that is who we really are. You know, Richard Rohr, who was the, one of the sources of the reading that Hugh did earlier today, he talks about, rather than original sin, you know, the original sin refers to the fall from grace, Adam and Eve, blah, 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 you're out of the garden, etc. <laughs> Just like that, God kicked his foot with his with his festive sandals designed by Satan, by the way, because they hurt my feet, so there's that. (laughs) He refers to original sin as original blessing. And he talks about how in the creation story that we were made in the image and the likeness of God and that God called creation good. And so then instead of depraved DNA, we have divine DNA. And it's our primary purpose in life to remember the truth of our divine DNA. So how do we remember? How do we remember when the binary activating system, the binary uh, ego system is so persistent and so easily moves into this place of separating right from wrong and good from bad and flawed from flawless? How do we move into that place of wholeness? I think we adopt what I would call a mystical perspective. We've been um, chatting about the idea of mystical mys- mysticism and non-duality in this in this center for quite a while now. For the last I don't know six or so months, you know. COVID has a way of changing things up, <laughs> and we've gone deeper into mysticism. And you know, I think. It's very, very easy for us to be literal, but when we stop and think about the true nature of the universe, I think it's easier for us to move into this mystical mind. I was was listening to a podcast, rather, by another mystic, James Finley, where he's talking about how when we hold a pebble in our hand, all of the universe is in that pebble. All of the universe is actively pouring itself into that pebble right now. And that reminded me of William Blake. William Blake who wrote that famous quote that I need to read because uh, I don't know it from memory, but here it is. William Blake, to see a world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wildflower, to hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. To hold eternity in an hour, to see the, the world, the whole world in a grain of sand, and heaven and a wildflower hold infinity in the palm of your hand? Because it's there. It's there. And can we believe that it's there? Can we really know this and believe this and feel this and know like this truth is true? So we're talking about how, how to kind of get into mystic mind. And, and one of the things that Cynthia Bourgeau says is that you can spot a mystic if he or she talks in parables or Coens, cones which are sort of like unsolvable riddles, because a cohen will kind of stop your ego operating system and say, wait a minute, what does that mean? What does that mean? So I'm going to give you something to ponder, something that I don't know the answer to, but something that I think about a lot. This is why I have insomnia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of my favorite verses from the Bible is Psalm 42, where where they talk about, As the deer longs for water, so doth my soul long for God. As the deer longs for water, so doth my soul long for God. Think of deer also as D-E-A-R. As the dear ones long for water, so doth our soul long for God. And I think about... Okay, so we long for water, so that means that the cosmos created water so that we so that we could be quenched so that our thirst could be quenched. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have to read this part because i don 't know if I totally understand it. But yes, what if water is alive too? What if water is alive too? I think water's alive don't you think water's alive. Well, Okay, then. <laughs> Spoken by a gardener and, and a, a lover of fish and a lover of water. So what if water is alive, too? And what if, you know, we really are holding the world in the palm of our hand in a blade of grass? What if we are really ho- holding infinity in a blade of grass? What if that pebble is the infinite poured into that one tiny little object? So what if water has a heart's desire, too? What if water wants to give of itself? What if water wants to give of itself so that we can be quenched? And so maybe the water longs longs to serve, too, and maybe the cosmos gave water (laughs) us. Maybe the cosmos gave water beings who thirst so that water could serve. You get that? (laughs) Did the cosmos make water for us? Or did the cosmos make us for water? I don't know. (laughs) But you see how that kind of scrambles things a little bit? How it gives us a bigger, broader picture of reality? how it helps us think deeper, and even if we don't understand it, we can meditate that and see, and see what we come up with, see what we come up with, see, know that know that God is more powerful, more creative, know that the cosmos is more powerful, more creative, more beautiful, know that happiness is more, more ha- is happier, know that love is more loving, not only than we think, but more loving and more wonderful and more beautiful and happier than we can think. It is beyond the trappings of the dualistic mind. It is in that place of non-duality and that place of mysticism where we start to tap into those true mysteries and we come up with new ways of being and perceiving in the world that lift us up and not only lift us up but lift up all of humanity. So in meditating on this phrase, I came up with these thoughts. Not only meditating on this phrase but having taught two weeks of back-to-back classes in mysticism, which is really 16 weeks, (laughs) with incredibly talented and intelligent students that caused all of us to reach deeply and think deeply. There's a line from Rumi, I think, that says that longing for the beloved is the beloved. And in many, many of our classes, we were talking about Jesus' idea that the kingdom of heaven is a state of consciousness where we know oneness, where we move past dualistic thinking, and when we know our oneness with all things, when we know the oneness with all beings. So what if longing for the kingdom of heaven, the actual longing is the kingdom of heaven itself? Ernest Holmes says that the answer to prayer is prayer. So what if when we pray, you know, we're waiting for the answer to the prayer, but what if the answer to the prayer is the fact that you just prayed? The longing to know that you are more beautiful than you think is already evidence that you are more beautiful than you think or than you can think. Your longing of spirit, of the cosmos, of happiness is evidence of the longing of spirit, of the cosmos, of happiness, longing for you. Something in you that wants to say, you're here, you're here, you're here. Know that something greater than that is wanting to say, you're here, you're here, you're here. Oh, my God, I'm so, oh, my God, God says God. Oh, my God, God, (laughs) oh, my God, I'm so excited that you're here, you're here, and you're here. And I think what this does is that I think it gives us permission that seeking is a beautiful thing. But that seeking, in a way, is finding as well. That the act of seeking is also an acknowledgement of finding. And that we don't have to be in this endless quest of frustration of, when I finally get this, then I'll be beautiful enough. When I finally get this, then I'll be happy. When I finally get this, then I'll be enough. Then I'll be worthy. It puts us in a place of knowing that even the seeking is a form of worthiness. Even the not knowing is a form of worthiness. And that it is all more beautiful, not only than we think, but more beautiful than we can think. We stretch our minds into that knowing, into that power, and into that grace. And that's what it is. It's grace. Grace beyond our knowing. Grace behind, beyond our capacity to know, but something greater than our capacity to know is always active and always thriving and always alive in each of us. Now, this is all well and good in theory. <laughs> but chances are, if we're hearing this, we want to do something with it, right? We want to get it. We want to do it right. I know I do. I want more joy. I want more love. I want more happiness. I want to be a blessing to the world. I want to bless exponentially. I want more abundance and peace, not only for me, but for all beings. So how do we live this truth? How do we live like this truth is true? I have a list. (laughs) I think the first thing is what I just said is to, to play with that parable about the deer and the water and the water and the deer and the, the thirst and the quenching and all of that stuff and recognize that there is something greater than us. There is a, there is a, a system, an intertwining of, of everything that is so far beyond what we know, and we just have to surrender to it. And if we don't know something, just ask spirit, spirit, divine, cosmos, happiness, love, higher power, whatever it is you want to call it, just show me. Just show me the next right thing to do and trust that the next right thing to do is enough. The other thing, <laughs> I said this just a few weeks ago, and it, you know, it's it's so funny when I say this because it sounds so, so, like, oh, there's nothing you can say that's politically correct anymore. So it sounds um, too simple. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> and... The other thing, the thing that I'm talking about is just to practice that practice that I spoke of a few weeks ago of yay for me, yay for me, yay for me to recognize what you do. If you empty the dishwasher, yay for me. If you empty the lint trap on your dryer, yay for me. If you make a toupee for your dog out of the lint that was in the lint trap, (laughs) yay for me. (laughs) If it was so much fun, you're going to get all the hairy blankets out of your car and wash them so you can make a bigger toupee for your dog. (laughs) Yay for me. Now, I don't recommend this for everyone. (laughs) You may not even have dog hair in your house. If not, come talk to me after church. We have plenty. But whatever it is that you do, just yay for me, yay for me, without a sense of ego. Actually, it's one of those things that I talk about a lot. When we start to get really in touch with the, with the, with the, the glory and the grace of who we are, there is this great feeling of this, these, this paradox of humility and exaltation, in that we feel humble that we get to experience all of this stuff, but also exalted that we get to experience all of this stuff. Who am I to get to experience all of this stuff? The humility and the exalted are intertwined like the thirsting and the quenching of thirst. One of those divine mysteries. <laughs> the other thing, the other way that I think we can help ourselves stay on this path of mystical knowing versus binary knowing is, first of all, to not put ourselves down for having binary knowing because that is defeating the purpose. But to be part of a community, whether it's friends or a center like this or, or a reading group or anything that mirrors mystical knowing back to you. I have this great great quote from Rumi. And this is this is Rumi speaking to God or Allah or whatever whatever name you want to give God. Rumi wrote, "You have no idea how hard I've looked for a gift to bring you, spirit." Nothing seemed right. What's the point? of bringing gold to the gold mine or water to the ocean. Everything I came up with was like taking spices to the Orient. (laughs) It's no good giving my heart and my soul because you already have these. So I've brought you a mirror. Look at yourself and remember me. It's actually God talking to Rumi. I got that part wrong. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know what made me say that, but let me read it again, recognizing that this is God, Allah, talking to Rumi. You have no idea, said God, how hard I've looked for a gift to bring to you. Nothing seemed right. What's the point of bringing gold to the gold mine or water to the ocean? Everything I came up with was like taking spices to the Orient because you're so beautiful. How could I make you more Beautiful. It's no good giving my heart and my soul, divine, beloved human, because you already have these. So I've brought you a mirror your entire life, your community, your being. Look at yourself and remember me. Can we mirror the divine for one another? Can we amplify the appreciation of one another? Can we amplify the good in one another? Can we amplify the mystic in one another? Can we amplify the wholeness in one another simply through our our gazing into each other's eyes, simply through our actions, simply through a handshake, simply through a hug, simply through an act of kindness? I believe that we can and that we can start right now. Please repeat after me. Divine Beloved, Help me to remember the truth about myself, no matter how beautiful it is. And so it is. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's Holy Chit, a spiritual podcast with Reverend Bonnie Rose. If you like what you hear, come join us in person at the Ventura Center for Spiritual Living. Check us out online at, www.venturescsl.org. Be sure to subscribe. And so it is.